Bible prophesied of a unique time on earth. Israel would be returned to her land, the church would turn to false doctrines, technology would increase, and wickedness and immorality would run rampant. The time spoken of so long ago has come. Join Charlie Garrett as he breaks down these events for us as they unfold each week. Uh, it is 6 September, Sunday. It's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week. And we've got uh, quite a few people that just showed up today that I did not know were coming. I'll start with Erin Greer, who I did know is coming. She told me she was coming, and um, she's down from Panama City. I don't know how much of this I can tell. Can I tell what you're doing, your next big changes? Okay. she's was in Panama City two years ago when they got hit by the hurricane, and she uh, has had enough of the living in that part of the United States where you never know what's coming. And so she's moving to the great state of South Dakota, where they don't wear masks, where they don't have lockdowns. They've got a wonderful Republican governor. And so we'll miss you in Florida, but you'll be up there with a lot of really good people and uh, celebrating with them. So, but lots of cold, but she knows that she's from Minneapolis originally. So she knows that, but, uh, yeah, she, uh, she, uh, said she wanted to come to the church before she moved out of Florida. And that's a great effort, and I appreciate that very much. And then we got Raphael just walked in this morning, and he's from he's down in Naples. He's been in other places around the country, but uh, he uh, is currently in Naples. And he said, I thought I'd come up for church today, and he didn't realize it was a several-hour drive, but here he is. So thank you for that. And then we have John and Kathy who just showed up without letting me know. They knew that they said they might be coming in September. A might. I hear from them every month. I, you know, we talk and and uh, we might be coming in September. And they just show up Sunday morning. And they arrived yesterday from Arkansas. So welcome to you guys. And then we have Cheryl Wells from Paducah, Kentucky. And she just showed up today. And she may have sent me something on Facebook. You know, I'm coming. But I told her I have not read a Facebook email now in six months. <laughs> I don't. I just don't read them anymore because after the coronavirus thing started, people the the regular emails have gotten so abundant. I guess people are at home and they've got nothing else to do or whatever, and it's never gone down since the lockdowns have been ended. And so I just no longer go to Facebook. So if you send me a message on Facebook, don't get mad. I just don't read it anymore. But welcome to all of you. It's really wonderful to have you all here. And uh, let's see. Our first category, as always, is Israel from MIG News. This is translated from Russian, so it may be a little off in the uh, translation, but the invention of the century, Israel will make fuel from watermelons. Good job. Israeli scientists have presented a method for producing bioethanol from watermelons for the production of biofuels. A certain type of watermelon is best suited, the Malay. They're pretty good. I lived in Malaysia three years. These fruit are grown for seeds, but experiments have shown that their field of application can be broader. The pulp and skins of these watermelons, which can make up 97% of their weight, are usually dumped into the soil. Experiments with dozens of watermelons have shown that they can be used for efficient production of bioethanol, which can be used as an alternative fuel. Plus, bioethanol can be used to make medicines, for example, disinfectants, which are especially relevant during the coronavirus pandemic. In the future, as the authors of the new technology for producing biofuels are confident, such solutions will significantly reduce the dependence of mankind on fossil fuels. So kind of a little interesting twist from Israel. From the Times of Israel, Israel releases newest spy satellites first 
photos of Syria's Palmyra ruins. We just talked about that about a month and a half ago. They sent off the OFEC uh, satellite on uh, flight up into the atmosphere. It made it. They got it into its proper orbit, and they've been adjusting the uh, cameras and everything, and they finally released the first photos. Now, the last time they sent up an OFEC satellite, does anybody remember what they, the first thing they took a picture of was? Assad's residence. And they wanted to make a point there. We know exactly what you're doing all the time. And so this time they thought they wouldn't be so, uh, you know, bold. And so on July 6th, the defense ministry launched OFEC-16 into orbit and a week later activated its powerful camera arrays, but did not release the images taken by the satellite until now. The three detailed black and white photographs focused on two main sites in Palmyra, a Roman amphitheater and a temple of Bel or Baal. So there you go with that. They decided not to be quite so political with their message this time, and they're just taking stuff out in the middle of the desert of Syria. From the AP, Israel lists first commercial passenger flight to UAE. You probably saw that good stuff. People got on the flight. I think Jared Kushner and some other people were on it, and they flew to the UAE and they landed. That's a historic moment. And then from the Times of Israel, Kushner, I believe it was on the flight over there, evades question on sovereignty. Special advisor to the president, Jared Kushner, implied that the application of Israeli sovereignty in Judea and Samaria is not off the table, something I have been saying for several updates where other people have said that this was a, you know, traitorous and it was a letdown to Israel. Not at all. Okay. For good in light of the opening of formal relations between Israel and the UAE. As dealmakers, maybe we think a little differently from traditional politicians, Kushner said in response to a question about sovereignty. But President Trump likes to keep his options open. We're seeing so much enthusiasm from Israeli business people, professionals, and just tourists who want to go to the UAE and from the Emirates who want to come to Israel. This is such a massive opportunity now that we want to stay focused on that. But again, President Trump likes to keep as much flexibility as possible when there's no reason to give it up. So they do have the option to annex still. This has not been taken away from them. That's very clear in the terminology that they used, suspend instead of, you know, uh, whatever other term you would use. It's just on hold, and they can do that if they want. But they're focusing on Arab peace right now, and obviously that's a good thing, although other people disagree with it. But the Bible is very clear that the Arab countries are not going to be coming against Israel in Gog Magog. And so we know for certain that this is a good thing, that it was planned by the Lord, and Whatever happens with, uh, I'll tell you, a great article my friend Benzer sent me this morning, and maybe I'll read it next week because it's pretty long and involved, but the uh, uh, deal with Bahrain has brought in all kinds of new options for, I don't know if you know that there is a pipeline that goes from Eilat, which is in the south of Israel, all the way up to Ashkelon. It goes right through the country. It was done in cooperation with the Iranians many years ago when Israel was aligned with the Iranians. Okay, and Israel apparently still owes the Iranians $1.1 billion for having this pipeline and also the building of it and using of it. And Israel isn't going to pay, obviously, because they're mortal enemies now. But um, this pipeline now has a great possibility of being a channel for the Arab nations to use to go through Israel and on up to Ashkelon and right into the Mediterranean Sea. So you can see how things are lining up where Russia is not going to like that. Turkey is not going to like that, and certainly Iran is not going to like that. 
I don't have all the analysis of the article for you right now, but it's a great article. I didn't finish it before I had to leave this morning, but uh, wonderful stuff. There you go. Times of Israel. A kosher banquet and a paradigm change. UAE signals this will be warm peace. Israel and the UAE were never at war, but the normalization of ties between these two countries, which is advancing at a dizzying pace, promises to become a very warm peace. At least that's the impression the Israeli delegation to the Gulf country got on its historic first day here. As soon as we stepped out of the Boeing 737-900 onto the tarmac, we Israeli visitors were all treated like honored guests. There were Israeli flags waving alongside those of the U.S. and the UAE in the airport terminal. On the journalist's bus, bottles of water and orange juice and cookies made in Oman were waiting, and our fast-moving motorcade, the bus for us reporters, some vans and limos for the genuine VIPs, was escorted to the hotel by local police cars who honked brusquely whenever anyone else came too close to us on the road that might have slowed us down. This is not the norm for visits of this Israeli level in most other parts of the world. It was not, after all, a state visit by Prime Minister Netanyahu or even a working visit by a foreign minister, and yet they got the high treatment. So these UAE people were really wanting to impress them on their first visit. It's good stuff. Times of Israel. Israel says talks underway for quick establishment of embassies with the United Arab Emirates. National Security Advisor says regular commercial flights could be available in weeks. Saudi Arabia has given them authority to fly over their territory. And that is another bonus because not only do they need to fly over Saudi Arabia in order to have a short flight to UAE, etc. But now that they have air rights over Saudi Arabia, all it is is just a hop and a skip to bomb Iran. And so this is a really interesting play that has come out. Now, that doesn't mean that military flights can fly over Saudi Arabia, but you know, if they're in a, a pinch and they need to, they can change the transponder to commercial frequencies and fly over Saudi Arabia. And Saudi Arabia could say, we didn't know. Okay. And then they go in, go back to military transponders and blow up Iran and then come back again. So this is, this is all, all in play right now, all of it. So keep this in mind is that what, uh, if other prophecy, I don't watch other prophecy updates, but if they are saying that this is a bad deal, Tell them to reevaluate. Send them a message and say they're wrong because this is exactly what we need for Israel at this point in history. All right, from the uh, Times of Israel Serbia to move embassy to Jerusalem, mostly Muslim Kosovo, to recognize Israel. This is good stuff as well. Serbia, and does anybody know who, anybody read the article about this? Who brokered this? Once again, it's Trump working things out for them. Serbia announced that it would move its embassy to Jerusalem while Muslim-majority Kosovo is to recognize Israel. The moves come as part of U.S.-brokered discussions to normalize economic ties between Belgrade and Pristina. After two days of meetings with Trump admin officials, Serbian President, I can't pronounce his name, it's something Vucic, I guess, and Kosovo's Prime Minister Abdullah Hoti agreed to cooperate on a range of economic fronts to attract investments and create jobs. The White House announcement provided President Trump with a diplomatic win ahead of the November presidential election and furthers his admin's push to improve Israel's international standing. Truly, it is historic, Trump said, standing alongside the two leaders in the Oval Office. I look forward to going to both countries in the not-too-distant future. And if that means after November, then he's confident he's going to win, but I don't know what that actually means. So uh, it's very interesting things that have gone on with Israel this week. Wonderful stuff. And uh, once again, I am completely behind this Arab agreement, this, these 
you know, peace agreements that they're coming up with because it is a good thing for Israel. It's not a bad thing. It has nothing to do with the seven-year peace treaty that the Antichrist is going to sign. And once again, that goes in conjunction with a what? I said it a couple weeks ago. The seven-year peace treaty is going to go in conjunction with a temple. Okay, nobody's even talking about a temple right now. That's not, and if they brought that issue up right now, every one of these Arab countries would pull out and they'd say, we want nothing to do with this. Okay, this is something that is helping Israel. And when, probably, this is just a guess, I'm not here to make speculation too much, but whenever Russia and their alliance with Persia and Turkey and Libya and all these countries come against them, that is probably after Israel defeats them, as the Bible says they are going to, the Antichrist is going to come in and he's going to say, we're making a peace treaty with all of these nations and we are going to allow a temple to be built because they will be in a position where they now have the power to say, we can do this. And so this has nothing to do with that peace treaty at this time. The temple has never been mentioned. Not a breath of it has been uttered during this entire process. Without that temple, it is not the peace treaty that everybody is saying this is so bad for Israel. Keep that in proper perspective. From Christian News, two, three, four weeks ago maybe, I had mentioned Pastor Silas over in um, Kenya, and I showed a short video of the children that uh, he was taking care of, hundreds of children in that little church of theirs. And so some people volunteered. They said, we want to help this guy over there. We see he's doing good things. And they sent some money. And he took that and he has done another thing for children. And he's also done something for the widows of Kenya. And he had a bunch of them in the church about a week ago. And he sent me the video for that. Rather than putting it in the update, if you want to see that, send me an email and I will send you the link to it on Google Docs. And uh, it's something that uh, I'm very thankful that people were willing to do that because this guy has really extended himself for the community there and he takes care of many, many people. And when we talk about poverty in America, we're talking about people that have a $1,000 cell phone and they've got nice tennis shoes and they live in a house with a washer and a dryer. These people over there have nothing. They literally have nothing. They live in holes in the ground, some of them. So I want to thank those people that are willing to help uh, Pastor Silas over in Kenya. And I also have a uh, friend that uh, asked me, Sam is his name, Sam Lesho. He said to me, uh, listen, my son is always watching you with me. And he says, why doesn't he ever blow the shofar? And so for Sam Jr., this is, this is for Sam Jr. here, okay? Now, I'll tell you something. People think, oh, that's got to be really hard to do is blowing a shofar. And uh, I had a guy in here. We had the air conditioner go down on Thursday night during the Bible class, and it was really hot in here. Anyway, um, he came on Friday, and uh, he sat down, and he was uh, working on the air conditioner, and I'm getting ready to tell him about Jesus. And um, as soon as I opened my mouth about Jesus, he was just all over it. He's from Moldova, but he speaks Russian. So immediately I hooked him up with Sergio and they were speaking Russian back and forth to each other. But um, we talked, we had a great talk. By the time we were done, we were hugging each other and just praising the Lord. But he um, uh, looked at the shofar and he said, oh, that's really neat. He says, is that hard to blow? And I said, no. I said, all you need to do is this. If you can do that, you can blow a shofar. And that guy picked it up, and he blew that shofar perfectly, perfectly the first time. So if you can make that sound with your lips, you don't need any air from your lungs. It's all with your lips. That's how you blow a shofar. So yeah, if you buy a shofar, then that's what you need to do. Did he do it under air? 
Huh? Was the air conditioner? The air conditioner was on. It was it was cool by the time he uh, had left here. Yes. So, all right. From the Christian headlines, may this be a land where he rules supreme. Ohio mayor surrenders his city to Christ. Now, I was so happy about this article. I emailed this guy, and he emailed me back a couple days later, and we, he said, we thank you for your prayers and your support for our community. Last weekend, Christians from multiple churches alongside elected officials in Ashland, Ohio, partook in an act of corporate repentance and prayer before God in calling for a national and global revival. Hundreds of people from the community gathered at the special event at Ashland's Freer Field, a 78-acre park near the city. The gathering is considered to be the first ever sacred assembly in that area, as it featured a time of worship, prayer, and remarks from church leaders and several officials. State Representative Daryl Kick and Assembly Speaker acknowledged the spiritual uniqueness of Ashland as his represented district. He also noted how a Bible study is held by several state lawmakers prior to casting their vote at the state house. There is the perception Ashland is a God-fearing country. As an elected official, I have noticed over the past couple of years, there has been a spiritual renewal in this area. After what I saw today, I am not aware of another district where the mayor commits the city to Jesus Christ and a county commissioner asks forgiveness for the sins of the county, he said. Ashland Mayor Matt Miller, that's who I emailed, spoke and took part in dedicating the city to Jesus Christ. As I stand before you tonight in the bright light of his son, to the extent I am able, I give this city of Ashland to the Lord Jesus Christ. May this be a land where he rules supreme. May this be a land where his love is genuinely felt by believers and non-believers alike. He also thanked God for his protection over Ashland as he believes that the Lord protected the city from the COVID-19 pandemic as cases were minimal. The heart of this city is seeking God. I believe with all my heart that is why God has protected and blessed the city of Ashland during one of the most tumultuous times in my lifetime and in the city's history. We need more mayors like that in this nation. That's what we need. Praise the Lord. From the Christian Institute, atheist intends to criminalize Bible if Scott hate crime bill is passed. An atheist activist has welcomed the Scottish government's controversial hate crime bill as an opportunity to report the Bible and church sermons for so-called hate speech. Ian Stewart, governor of Atheist Scotland, told the Courier atheists saw some merit in the SNP's hate crime and public order Scotland bill, as it will enable the prosecution of all Scotland's religions and their holy books for spreading hatred. He said, we fully intend to monitor all holy books, sermons and places of worship, and the social media accounts of the various religions and report any hatred to police Scotland for criminal investigation. If passed, the hate crime and public order bill would criminalize words deemed likely to stir up hatred against particular groups. It would not require any proof of intent. Simon Calvert, you know, we're going through the books of Moses for the past 10 years. I'd be in jail 40 times after this, or maybe 400 times. It would not require any proof. Simon Calvert, deputy director for public affairs at the Christian Institute warned against the dangerous news stirring up hatred offenses, saying that they will give politically motivated complainants like Mr. Stewart a powerful weapon against their ideological opponents. 
He commented, the threshold of the proposed offenses is so low that Mr. Stewart might well be able to persuade a police officer that certain unfashionable Bible verses or sermons are hate crimes. Does the Scottish government really want to expose church ministers to the risk of prosecution at the instigation of anti-religious zealots? So what a difference between Ashland, Ohio and Scotland right now. But think of it. The first time they start reporting the Muslims, they're going to retract that law because they're going to have all kinds of problems. But they, they just want to get Christianity out, but they're not going to be able to play one side without somebody playing the other side. And it's going to turn into chaos over there. From the Gateway Pundit, New York priest at Sunday Mass. Do you affirm that white privilege is unfair? Will you worship at the altar of racial justice? This is a priest saying this in a Catholic church. For Sunday Mass, the priest at St. Xavier Catholic Church in New York City lectured his flock on white privilege. I would have gotten up and gotten right out of that church. I'd never walk back in there again. And dismantling white supremacy. During the prayer, worshipers repeated the words of Father Kenneth Bowler, who had adorned the altar with giant portraits of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmed Aubrey. Catholic priest, do you affirm that white privilege is unfair? Will you commit to helping transform our church culture and worship daily at the altar of racial justice? Time for that guy to go. From Islam today, Zero Hedge. UAE and Israel plan to create intelligence bases on Yemen's Socotra Island. I don't know if you know where that is. It's a very strategic located island south of Yemen. It belongs to Yemen, but they're talking about the UAE and Israel working together, having a base down there. Israel and the UAE are going to create a military intelligence gathering infrastructure on Yemen's Socotra Island, according to Arab and French sources. The island, located south of Yemeni mainland in the Indian Ocean, overlooks the Bab al-Mandab Strait. The strait is a sea route choke point between the Horn of Africa and the Middle East, connecting the Red Sea to the Gulf of Aden and Arabian Sea. Most exports of oil and natural gas from the Persian Gulf that transit the Suez Canal or the Sumed Pipeline pass through both the Bab el-Mandeb and the Strait of Hormuz. Since the start of the Saudi-led intervention in Yemen, the UAE, formerly a Saudi ally, and the UAE-backed Southern Transitional Council, a Yemeni separatist movement that is formally allied with the Saudi-backed government in Aden, have established control over most of Socotra Island. For years, the UAE has been seeking to annex the island due to its strategic location. The collapse of the Yemeni statehood due to the years-long instability and foreign intervention paved a way for more direct actions. The creation of a military infrastructure, there is a logical step in this strategy. According to reports, a delegation of Israeli and UAE officers recently visited the island and examined several locations for establishing the planned intelligence facilities. Things are moving quickly down there, I'll tell you what. From the Independent, Pentagon to pull a third of U.S. troops out of, did anybody read this? Out of Iraq, good news. The Pentagon is dramatically cutting the number of troops stationed in Iraq. The American military presence in the country will fall by one-third to approximately 3,500 troops over the next two to three months. It is expected that President Trump will promote the move as evidence that he is fulfilling a promise to wind down U.S. involvement overseas in what he calls endless wars. The withdrawal would bring the number of U.S. military personnel in Iraq to the approximate level it was in 2015, near the start of the fight against the Islamic State. 
Any reduction in forces would be a careful balancing act to prevent a repeat of 2011 when a withdrawal led to a security vacuum allowing the rise of the Islamic State across much of the northern part of the country. Neither the U.S. nor Iraq wants to see a repeat of that. And the Iraqi government is keenly aware of the existence of sleeper cells and small groups of fighters active in the country and in neighboring Syria. The Pentagon has pulled between the two objectives, first reducing its presence in the, Pen in the Middle East while maintaining a presence on Iran and shifting its focus toward building a stronger presence in Asia to counter China. Those returning from Iraq would add to the previous reductions in Afghanistan and at permanent bases in Germany. A communique issued by the U.S. and Iraq last week indicated that troop cuts were on the horizon when it noted that the mission in Iraq had shifted from combating Islamic State to training Iraqi forces, which requires fewer personnel. Good job, President Trump. From Mongolia today, from Kerry Hargarter. Bored with social distancing at the house? Anybody tired of that? Attempt Mongolian glamping. Now you can go to Mongolia and go glamping. The nation which has the same floor space to the U.S. largely has the virus below management and home journey is bouncing again. One choice, luxurious Mongolian yurts. You all know what the yurt is. It's the round thing they live in. They showed some that are absolutely astonishing. I mean, these are really beautiful. So if you want to go have some fun, the northern central Asian yurt consists of felt coverings stretched over a picket latticework. However, a latest article in China Each Day highlighted the chance to remain in an experimental yurt discipline within the grasslands of internal Mongolia, which is an area of northern China. The brand new yurts embrace choices corresponding to glass domes for star watching and key card entry. Glamping on the grassy highlands is turning into a large cottage business. The 39-year proprietor of the Yurt Enterprise, interviewed by the newspaper, mentioned his firm generates $667,000 a year and employs 80 herders. The corporate has additionally bought yurts to be used in Beijing. Now, why somebody would want to stay in a yurt in Beijing, I don't know. But while you wish to get away from folks, there's just nothing like the huge open step. And now the nomadic lifestyle is accessible with all the trendy conveniences. So instead of coming to Sarasota next year, you can go over to Mongolia and sleep in a yurt. No, we want you here. We want you here. All right, from Daniel 12 Technology, from New Atlas. Striking study links fight or flight brain pathway to appetite hormone. Now, this is kind of interesting here. A new study has discovered a common appetite hormone, also present in humans, seems to activate a key neural pathway that determines how quickly the fish withdraw from fights. Zebrafish have been found to be incredibly useful organisms for modeling social conflict. If two male fish are dropped into the same tank, they will immediately battle for social dominance. They don't fight to the death, but instead they face off until one surrenders. Winners tend to show active behavior, such as biting, chasing, striking, and freely swimming around the tank, whereas losers tend to show passive behavior, such as fleeing, freezing, retreating, and staying in the bottom of the tank. Prior work homed in on activity in a tiny pea-sized region of the brain called the habanula, as fundamental to whether a zebrafish wins or loses a fight. 
Now, as soon as I started reading this, I said, I can see the Chinese are going to start doing this to humans. They're going to read this article. Mark my words, this is coming. This revealed that the two separate competing neural pathways in the Habanula could determine whether a fish concedes in a fight or vigorously battles on. Genetically engineering the fish would quite literally create winners and losers. Silencing the winning pathway made the fish quicker to withdraw from a fight while knocking out the losing circuit predisposed the fish to fight on longer. So once these two competing neural pathways were identified, the next step in the research was to work out what factors regulate their activity. The new research explored the effect of starvation on habanula activity and the outcomes of zebrafish social conflicts. The research found the zebrafish were much more likely to win in a fight after they had been starved for six days. In fact, the hungry zebrafish won around 75% of the fights. Even more interestingly, the research revealed starvation-induced greater activity in the previously identified winning neural circuit prior to a fight even beginning, a finding that is novel to this new study. This suggests several days of starvation already primes the winning neural circuit. The research also discovered this entire mechanism seems to be mediated by a hormone called orexin, which is in humans, by the way. The particular hormone, only discovered recently in the late 1990s, is known to play a role in regulating appetite and wakefulness. In the context of this research, orexin was found to directly activate the winning neural circuit in response to several days of starvation. A recent study in mice suggested orexin may play a key role in the animal's fight-or-flight mechanism. A hypothesis is that certainly backed up by the findings in this new zebrafish research. The research does note these particular animal studies are not entirely divorced from human outcomes. These newly discovered neural mechanisms should translate to humans. So you wonder why there are some people that are heroes and some aren't. A lot of it could come right down to diet itself. Have you been stressed for a couple of days and not eaten? You might make a better soldier or, you know, whatever. But now I guarantee you that this is going to start being used by the military. Now that this is out, mark my words, mail online, start staring, staring at a computer screen for six hours a day is as bad for your skin as 25 minutes in the midday sun without sunscreen, study warns. I'm in front of that thing 15 hours a day. I'm probably going to die of cancer in the next four minutes. Researchers have been studying the long-term impact of blue light on the skin. Up to 60% of people now spend at least six hours per day facing a screen. Five days of exposure to blue light is as bad for the skin as 25 minutes in the sun. Experts recommend regular breaks and using skin cream with antioxidants. So now you got to wear skin cream in front of your computer, okay? And this is not true, and I know it's not, because I'm 27 years old and I look great. <laughs> okay, Revelation Plagues today. Zero hedge. Drought, windstorm, plunge uh, Iowa's corn industry into chaos. A mega drought could be forming across the West, parts of the Midwest, and in Texas. The latest U.S. drought monitor map shows nearly a third of the country is experiencing severe drought to extreme drought conditions. The lack of precipitation is so concerning that Iowa Secretary of Agriculture warned that his state is facing the worst drought since September 2013. The drought in Iowa has caused several headaches for farmers ahead of the harvest, following the high winds that flattened the cornfields and destroyed silos in early August. 
Iowa, the biggest U.S. corn producing state, is facing lower crop yields and deteriorating grain quality due to the recent volatility in the weather. And the challenge here, and what's unique, is that we're dealing with adverse weather conditions over such a wide area of the state of Iowa. This is the largest area of coverage of multiple problems that I have ever seen, adding that the crop yields could be much lower than the estimates from months back. Reuters noted the powerful windstorm on August 10th impacted 14 million crop acres, or about 57% of the state's farms. We are starting to hear of some of those fields being declared a total loss and seeing farmers out destroying that crop. A confluence of events in a short period from drought to windstorm has negatively impacted Iowa's crop yield. Without the drought and windstorm, Iowa's crop was forecasted to be large. Further corn sales to China could push prices up even higher. So there you go with that. We'll see what happens. But they're getting hit in Iowa. Poor farm. You know, I don't know how anybody could say I'm going to be a farmer nowadays. They just, it's one thing after another with them. From strange sounds, 400,000 thousand chickens, turkeys, and emus are euthanized as bird flu spreads across Australia. The Victorian Farmers Federation Egg Group said that the loss would be devastating for both large and small producers, not just emotionally, but financially as well. Meanwhile, at least eight countries have temporarily banned the import of Victorian poultry products as the state's outbreak of flu continues. So they're getting double hit by it. From Intel Hub, 2016 children's film Hedgehogs. Did anybody here see that? I'd never even heard of it, but Hedgehogs depicts the pandemic and vaccine rollout. The 2016 children's animation titled Hedgehogs foretells the story of how a new vaccine ultimately saved the populace of the world from a pandemic outbreak spawned by small animals. In the film, people dressed in bio suits can be seen spraying a city street with disinfectant upon the outset of the outbreak. The uncanny scene literally mimics the 2020 footage of Wuhan, China to a T. As a result of the pandemic scare, people put on masks immediately out of fear. This is in the movie. In the film, in order for the star hedgehog to get placed in a new home with a good family, he will have to show a good bill of health and later be vaccinated in order to be returned into society. The infected animals were subsequently tracked with GPS locators which resemble current contact tracing programs in 2020. The real-time tracking margin error in the animation is just one inch. They can track these animals within one inch anywhere on the planet, making things even more sinister. An elite and powerful human villain doctor in the film claimed that he was taking the animals to shelters, but as it turns out, the animals may have never actually been taken to shelters, but may have been taken to a facility for extermination. The henchmen looked at each other confused and asked, is that the cotton candy one? Doctor, is Operation Bye-Bye the cotton candy one or the extermination one? One of the henchmen asked aloud. Okay, and that made me think immediately of Cuomo in the UK and what we talked about the UK last week. They're euthanizing people and or just saying no DNR against their will. Cuomo having these people taken out and literally murdered. Okay, the diabolic doctor went on to explain to the young man who wanted to save the animals that the hedgehogs are diseased carrying vermin that need to be eradicated for the greater good. Once again, I think of Cuomo with that one. They've got this country completely scared 
It's just unbelievable. I went to Publix this morning. I was the only person in the entire store that didn't wear a mask. Sometimes I go there and there's two or three other people. People, one lady, I walked out of Publix. She's 80 feet away outside and I walk out without a mask on and she literally went up against the wall and she wouldn't move from there until I went to my car. I'm 80 feet away from her. I mean, this is insane. And they saw this in a movie. Here it says, the Orwellian animation goes on to depict a mainstream media push to roll out a new vaccine that will defeat the respiratory illness. I'm also happy to announce that we've discovered a vaccine. You no longer have to live in fear. Everybody can get back to their normal lives because we are about to kick this dirty little virus back to the Stone Age, domestic biological head Dr. Huang said. So there you go with that movie. And there you go with the what's being mirrored in real life right now from Fox 5. New CDC report shows 94% of COVID-19 deaths in the United States had contributing conditions. I think you all have heard that, but if you haven't, I wanted to make sure you knew that. Uh, John MacArthur came out and he said something in a sermon and they took his sermon down because he cited this. And then he said, you know, it's obviously not true what's been going on. And they took down his sermon because of it. So other people had captured it and it's been put in little five minute uh, uh, sections all over YouTube. But I mean, you can't say anything against this, even when you got the facts right here, whatever, or other category. Zero hedge. New Jersey governor very seriously considering tax on high-frequency trades. Everybody know what a high-frequency trade is? They're doing the, the stock trades and they, okay. Money managers and wealthy individuals don't need another reason to leave the Garden State. But Governor Murphy might just give them one. Hours after unveiling plans to reopen indoor dining in the state on Friday, although restaurants will be limited to just 25% capacity, making it effectively impossible for most to even do business, Governor Murphy announced during a press briefing that he was mulling a high-frequency trading tax. Keep in mind, the New York Stock Exchange is mostly an expensive TV set for CNBC. All the real trading takes place across the Hudson in New Jersey in heavily fortified data centers in Secaucus, Carteret, Mawa, and other North Jersey data centers. The notion is something we like a lot, Murphy said. Under the current plan, firms would be charged 0.25 cents per trade if the HFT tax became law. It should go without saying that such a tax could create serious problems for HFT firms. Of course, Murphy isn't alone. Lawmakers in New York are also looking into resurrecting attacks on stock trades to help replenish its COVID-depleted coffers. As we've explained, the left's argument for these type of taxes is that in 2016, the wealthiest 10% of Americans owned 84% of stocks. The author of this study argued this, every single significant exchange in the world has a financial transaction tax, save one, which is Germany, and they proposed it there. Is the London Stock Exchange out of business? Have they moved to Dublin? Should Murphy decide to move forward? Expect to see more Wall Street luminaries give up on the Garden State for sunnier pastures down south. He's saying all the rest of the world does it and they're all okay, so we need to do it too. I'm telling you what, they're not going to take it. They're not going to take it. They're right across the border for a reason because New York was doing that to them. They'll just pick up and move all of their assemblies somewhere else and do it somewhere else where they don't get taxed to death because people are irresponsible with their money. From Zero Hedge, New Jersey hikes gas tax by 22.5%, bringing total increase since 2016 to 250%. 
Not content with driving out its wealthiest with yet another tax hike on millionaires, New Jersey just made life for all of its residents, including lower and middle classes, more expensive when it quietly decided to hike the state's fuel tax. Drivers filling up gas in New Jersey will pay 9.3 cents more per gallon on a 22.5% increase after the state announced a fuel tax increase that will take effect on October 1st. The rate increase will bring the state tax from 41.4 to 50.7 cents per gallon. The New Jersey Treasury Department explained that the decision was necessary because tax revenue has fallen with fewer people on the road during the coronavirus pandemic. And so, in all its brilliance, the Garden State plans to make gas even more expensive and guarantee that there will be even fewer people on the road because even before COVID, New Jersey was the state with the most foreclosures, not because its residents are swimming in money, but well, the opposite. Zero hedge. New Jersey is becoming the most hated state as households flee in record numbers. It is becoming obvious to most that New Jersey is now actively trying to drive out its taxpaying population and top businesses with a series of draconian measures to balance its deeply underwater budget instead of slashing spending. And you know it's a sanctuary state, so all that money gets wasted there too. The state imposed limitations on commerce, mobility, and socialization due to the COVID pandemic have also not helped. And in case it is still unclear, the trend of New Jersey's ultra-wealthy residents fleeing for more hospitable tax domiciles, which started with David Tepper years ago, is now spreading to members of the middle class. According to the latest data from United Van Lines, people have been flooding into Vermont, Idaho, Oregon, and South Carolina, eager to flee such financially challenged, high-tax, protest-swept, Democrat-controlled states as Connecticut, Illinois, and New York. But no other state has seen a greater exodus than New Jersey, where out of every 10 moves, seven have been households leaving the state, or nearly three times as many moved out than moved in. On the opposite end were bucolic pastoral states, such as Vermont and Idaho, which have seen between 70 and 75% of all inbound moves. How long will this exodus persist is unclear. At some point, the recipient states will realize they, too, have to follow with similar fiscal policies or else they, too, will risk becoming the next New Jersey. However, until then, one thing is clear. The more New Jersey and its tri-state peers seek to impose every possible form of tax on their rapidly diminishing residents, the fewer people will actually stick around to pay those taxes. And as I say, every time I give you one of these reports, the unfortunate part of this entire thing is that they stupidly go to a new conservative state and they vote Democrat. It makes absolutely no sense, but they're just taking their insanity to the other parts of the nation. From the Epic Times, county sheriffs reject request from Oregon governor for help with Portland riots. Two county sheriffs said that they will not be sending their police officers to Portland after Oregon Governor Brown requested support from the two counties and a city police department to help quell riots in the troubled city. Good job on these guys. Washington County Sheriff Pat Garrett, I like his name, and Clackamas <laughs> County Sheriff Craig Roberts said in separate statements that they would not send police officers to Portland because the liability for their officers would be too great. Good job. New York Post. New York City passes grim gun violence milestone as shootings top 1,000 for the year. 
With four more months left in 2020, New York City logged 1,004 shootings as of August 30th. According to New York Police Department data released Monday, last year there had been just 537 by that time. So almost double last year. Zero hedge. Germans, I like this, but I don't have the time to do it, so I'd be given a citation every day. Germans must walk their dogs twice a day under a new law. Well, that's not true. I do walk them twice a day, just not under their restrictions. Under a newly introduced plan, all Germans will be required to take their dogs for a walk twice daily, something we do do, totaling an hour of walking time, an hour of your life walking your dogs. It used to be an hour in the morning and an hour in the evening, and the country revolted, but an hour. I let out all nine dogs, and I say, go do it, and they run around the yard, and then they just walk back into the house at their convenience. They're done in five minutes. But yeah, that hour stuff is, I'm sorry. Um, Let's see here. Ironically, when it comes to absurd nanny states, there seems to be no consensus. While Germany is forcing people to walk their dogs, other governments have forced people to not walk their dogs during the pandemic. So nobody can figure out what to do anymore. Okay, I got a lesser here for you. We'll see if you can figure out what he's talking about. One city is standing up strong against all that's evil and wrong. They cede to the sun, giving all to the one, their faith songs, a powerful song. Good job, the mayor of Ashland, Ohio. Thank you. Okay, I got two ironies and we'll be done. This is entitled Product Fail. Smoking gun. Motorist was watching movie when his Tesla crashed into a cop car. Product fail. Yeah. And then from the Daily Caller, Chrissy Teigen, she's some movie star I've never seen. Chrissy Teigen caught using, oh no, Goya products after pushing for a boycott against them. Such is the world we live in. So from Sarasota, Florida to Ulaanbaatar, Mongolia, I'm Charlie Garrett. This is The Superior Word, and that is your Prophecy Update for the week.